The Football Show on Off The Ball With Sky Watch Premier League, Women's Super League, EFL, Scottish Premiership and much more Live on Sky Sports I'm prepared to end it if I can well, do, it then. do it then What about your start to the game? I was, it wasn't bad, was it? <laughs> Why should there be an honest answer be a mistake? How can a modern day manager not have a mobile phone? Why should he? Yeah, you are welcome, welcome along. Uh, we'll talk to Graham Gartland later in the show. It's been uh, a really, really madcap time in the League of Ireland in the sense that Shamrock Rovers went to Drogheda on Monday and lost with Danny Mandroy getting sent off, Jack Byrne being injured. But Derry City completely unable to bridge the gap because they lost to Dundalk on Friday and then they lost to Sligo, who sacked our manager in the meantime on Monday. All the while, Dundalk, if they win the game in hand, are just five points off uh, Shamrock Rovers, which is is. Completely completely mad and down at the bottom UCD and Finn Harps are struggling so we've Graeme Gartland uh, ahead to talk about all of that uh, before that it's a, a Champions League final with a strong Latin American team and with that in mind and to talk about a bit of the Copa Libertadores and restructuring in Brazil and all life uh, in Brazil and in Latin America we have Tim Vickery on the line how are you Tim? I'm very well very good evening to you how are you doing? I'm alright what's the weather like down there? Well we're um, we're coming up to winter which means, and I don't expect sympathy, um, it's around 25 degrees. Um, but as we get now towards the end of the afternoon, temperatures are going to dip alarmingly. I mean, I'm expecting quite a cold night where it may even get down to about 15, 16. How are you going to survive? I don't know. I don't know. We'll, I'll, I'll make of it the best that I can. So the the Champions League final will start with what? what's it like in Brazil when the Champions League final is on is everyone kind of glued to it or what's the atmosphere like does everyone go to the street do they go to the bars where do they go well there's a reason that this game was switched from Wednesday uh, afternoon your time to Saturday evening and that's that the rest of the world it's easier for so much of the rest of the world to see it especially including the Americas because uh, um, it used to be when it was a Wednesday final it's during work time in the afternoon now we've got it Saturday afternoon, prime time. Uh, and it's, it's a huge, huge game for, for a number of reasons. And one, I think it's, it's, a, it's a fabulous game in itself. Two is that um, European football has sold itself so well over here that irrespective of whether there are any South Americans on the field, uh, the, the fans over here, a lot of the fans have a relationship with the clubs uh, and, and are desperate to see what happens. And three is, you said it earlier on, Johnny, a South American theme. There are lots of South American players on the field. So uh, um, we want to look at them uh, with a view, perhaps, in some cases, to the World Cup later on this year. Obviously, that doesn't apply to Luis Diaz of Colombia because uh, they didn't get there. But uh, there's a lot of Brazilians out there and a Uruguayan as well. So there are plenty of reasons for a South American audience to follow this game. What are you, like half your lifetime living there now or so? It's not far off that way. Yeah, it, it, it's. Uh, but I still think of, of England and, uh, as being home. But it, mm. I'm, I'm, I'm approaching the halfway point, yes. What's it been like, like such a transformation? Living over here? Mm. Um, it's uh, Even though I've been, been here for for 28 years it would have been half my life but I've just turned 57 yesterday uh, so Happy we're not birthday. quite there yet thank you very much uh, I can't even though I've been here all this time and I'm married to a Brazilian and I've got two Brazilian stepdaughters who you know they're, they're in their mid-30s now but they've been in my life for for over 25 years I still can't see it entirely as home 
really because I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, the product of a, of a different thing. I'm the product of something that doesn't really exist anymore. It's called the welfare state. I'm a product of, of council housing. I'm a product of, of free education. I'm a product of going to university uh, and uh, every, ha having everything paid. You actually paid you to go there. Um, those kind of examples for my class of people in Brazil don't really exist. Not sure they exist too much in the land of my birth anymore. But uh, the, the lack of kind of social democratic values means that however much I enjoy being here. I never feel entirely at home. That difference between rich and poor and also the way that the fear of violence corrodes the social spirit, makes it harder to wander around freely. That means that uh, despite all of my affection for the place, and it is a love-hate relationship, I can never really fully think of it as home. So if you're a Westerner, do you feel a little bit unsafe walking the streets at night? Well, everyone does. I mean, it, and it means that there, there are far fewer people walking the streets at night, which in turn makes it less safe. Um, yes, I mean, that, that, has, that has really corroded. And when I was first over here, and we're going back now to the mid-90s, I would give English classes to, uh, to executives who are the age that I am now. And they used to laugh at New York for its lack of safety. Um, this is something which has happened in Brazil in the last, it's a dynamic of the last 40, 50 years. Um, and it, it, it has to do with growing population, cities growing, even when, when their economies shrink, a lack of opportunities, dreadful wealth distribution. The great historian Eric Hobsbawm described Brazil as the, the world champion of, of economic inequality. Uh, we, we did make progress a few years back, but that's, I'm afraid, we've been in reverse gear for the last few years. Football show is brought to you by Sky. All the football you love in one place across Sky Sports, BT Sport, and Premier Sport. And in that context, then is is football still the way out for um, you know? I guess impoverished kids. We we'll talk about Luis Diaz as well because he's a great example of this in Latin America. Mm -hmm. But is is football still that outlet for everyone to kind of become equal? Oh, well, for everyone to, to, to get a shake and, and to buy a house for their mum and extended family, it worries me. This sometimes the the responsibilities that are placed on young footballers when they show some talent. And there are plenty of cases of uh, of promising young footballers, you know, at the age of like 15, their entire family, uh, well, some of them, would they'll give up work and they will just become his support structure. And that that's putting a lot of pressure on a young man at an age when he should be playing football with the accent on play. They're almost like, sometimes, they're almost like soldiers on a mission. And Vinicius Junior certainly fits in into that category. And luckily, he's so good and football is such a great game that I think he enjoys himself hugely on the field. But it comes loaded with so much pressure to succeed, not only for himself, but for also to, also to guarantee his extended family. That's quite mad when you think about it. I mean, yes. you know, back in the day, football was for most of its existence was basically a part-time pursuit for most of the players and you know they had their job in the day and whatever but now you have almost like an entire family hinging on your success at the age of 15 i mean mm. that it's it, it's insanity and it will and it certainly doesn't make for long-term mental health mm. you wonder where there will be a reaction somewhere down down the line of uh, uh, I have a friend journalist who uh, he, he went into this deeply with the Vinicius Junior generation. Uh, another one, uh, Paulinho, who's uh, similar generation, went to Germany, went to Leverkusen. Uh, and he came back very, very worried after talking to them because one thing that they can't do at, the, at that age, you know, 13, 14, 15, they're not just not allowed to play football in the streets with their mates. They're not allowed to do it. 
because it's an activity that comes full of professional responsibilities at that very, very early age. So when we look at this game on Saturday, and I'm, I'm really looking forward to a fabulous, fabulous game of football. Uh, you know, it's so easy to envy these players, the amount of money that they get. But I re- we really should remember, firstly, that the vast majority fall by the wayside. And, and secondly, that even for those who don't, there is a price to pay for all of this success on the field. And he was like, I mean, you just looked at him. He's turned 22 this summer and um, comes from kind of the southeast of the country. Um, and it's, I mean, we, we'll obviously talk about Diaz, but he, he's an amazing player to watch. And he almost, he does seem to play like, with almost like a free spirit in, in a, not, not, not quite the way that you, you suggested he was brought up in terms of all the pressure on him. Yeah, and I've followed him all the way. And mm. I remember Real Madrid buying him before he played a, a, a professional game for, for Flamengo. And they spent over 40, I think it was 45 million euros. How on. does that work, Tim? Well, I, I think the reason was Real Madrid were so miffed at having missed out on Neymar mm. that they were going to make sure that they weren't going to miss out on this one. So they were quite prepared to pay massively over the odds because at that point he was 16. He hadn't played a professional game. There was no way of knowing whether he'd develop into into what he is now. And uh, I remember his his first game. I was in the stadium for it. He was on the bench and he'd already been sold. Real Madrid couldn't take him until he was 18. So for the first 18 months of his career, he, he he was here in Brazil playing for Flamengo. And he was on the bench and the fans spent the whole game calling for him. They just wanted to see him. They wanted to see this... This, uh, this 45 million euro teenager, 16 year old. And he came on for the last 10 minutes and all he did, he, he tried to run through his repertoire of tricks and none of them came off. And by the end of that 10 minutes, he was already being booed. So he's had, he'd had his first, his first cheers and his first boos in his first 10 minutes of, uh, of, of uh, professional football. As time went on, you began to see that, yes, there really is something there. At first, it was hard for him to add precision to his pace. It's very difficult to be precise when you're travelling at the speed that that he travels. But I remember one game, clearly, again, he came off the bench. It was a a Champions League game, Copa Libertadores game, um, away in Ecuador against Emelec. And Flamengo were losing. And he came on and he he won the game. He he was astonishing. And the great thing there was that at the final whistle, the home fans, the fans of Emelec of Ecuador, they queued up to have their photo taken with him. They weren't angry about the the fact that this this, this player, this teenager had come on and won the game against their side. They recognised, one of those rare moments where they recognised that they had been in the presence of something special and they wanted to go home with a souvenir. And, and, And for me, the, the matchup between Vinicius Jr. and Trent Alexander-Arnold, for me, it's the most important matchup of the game. Remember when these sides met in the quarterfinals last year? Vinicius Jr. won the game. 3-1 in the Bernabeu. It was 0-0 at Anfield and Real Madrid went, went marching on. And I'm fascinated to see what happens with this matchup. How will Liverpool play it? Because... And Vinicius, the, the speed, Trent Alexander-Arnold is a, is a magnificent player, but defending is not his strongest suit, is it? And he, and he would rather go forward. And if, if you are Liverpool, you would rather him do what he does best and not more of what he does not so well. So if they're going to free Trent to go forward, they've got to have someone covering that space. But also they've got to stop the supply line. 
And that came in the Bernabeu when Real Madrid won 3-1. Vinicius' supply line was Tony Kroos. It could be Modric. It could be Casemiro. It could be Valverde. You know, they've got all kinds of options. And Real Madrid have shown time and time again in this campaign, they don't have to be better for the 90 minutes to, to, to win the match. So the conclusion that I would draw for that is that Liverpool have to press relentlessly. So they can't be the Liverpool at kind of half cock that they were in the first half against against Villarreal in Spain, where they nearly let things slip. And the conclusion that I draw from that is that we are in for a special, special game. Bring it on. I can hardly wait. I don't think Liverpool are capable of pressing relentlessly at this stage of the season. Maybe I'm wrong. Right. I think their legs are slightly on the wane, which is entirely understandable. Like at this stage yep. of the season, um, maybe, maybe, maybe so. And also the fact that Klopp has, you know, frequently spoken about Trent Alexander-Arnold's defending as not being an issue. But I completely agree with you. I think you know, in in a matchup like this, he's vulnerable. So if do Liverpool. Are they going to like break from their high line a little bit? Are they going to be a little bit more conservative? Are they going to do what you do, Tim, and just press the crap out of uh, Real and hope for the best? Well, I would hope it's option number three mm. for you know for really getting a game. I, I, say, I hope we don't get a Liverpool that, that, that's more cautious. Uh, but I think your observation is very pertinent. You know, the, the, the time of the season, how much do Liverpool still have in in their legs? Uh, so but th- these are big choices aren't they and they're, they're choices that are based around of all the great players This is a, th- these are choices that I think are based mainly around one player which is Vinicius Junior like you're asked at this stage to play and me Arthur Michael and I were looking at the old days of the European Cup where you had you know uh, knockout competitions nowadays you're asked to play an obscene amount of games at a pace yeah. that's never been done before yeah. and you're expected to go right to the end yeah and it's provided us hasn't it with mm. with some fantastic entertainment even those of us who have have misgivings about aspects of modern football you can hardly knock the closing stages of the Champions League. They've, they've been extraordinarily dramatic. And I've felt sorry in some of the games for the defenders because they have to, sometimes they do so many excellent defensive things, but it's not enough because they're, they're being asked to, to be excellent again and again and again. And I hope from the, from the point of view of the spectacle that we have something similar on Saturday in Paris. Well, let's talk a, a bit more of a human story again. So let's talk about Luis Diaz. And this is just a remarkable, remarkable tale. And I think what's incredible for me is that it's it's been so seamless for him to fit in. Um, it literally took it like half an hour for him to look like he'd been playing for Liverpool for some time. And you do get the feeling he's a bit fresher than Salah at this stage, I think, of the season. Yeah, it's astonishing. I mean, I always saw him as a Liverpool player. Mm. And I thought that Liverpool would be after him in, in January um, because you could just see how he would fit into that side uh, as a backup for for Mane, you know, the left wing cutting in. But I, I had no idea that he was going to make this this immediate impact. You know, arriving and not speaking a word of English, but it uh, instantly finding a, 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 a football lexicon with his his new teammates. Now I've been watching him for Colombia, Colombia who astonishingly missed out on World Cup qualification and score. Yeah, they went seven games without a goal. Now he played in all of those games, so you know with, with his compatriots he wasn't able to find this uh, this footballing language. Um, but with Liverpool, it just clicked right from the start, and I think so often you have to credit Klopp 
for the excellence of his work because if this is happening time and time again, it's happened with Diego Jota as well, really, hasn't it? I mean, if this is happening time and time again, it's not coincidence. Uh, and, and so many of these players, at the time that Liverpool bought them, were not considered the superstars that they are now. So I think that the, the conclusion that you'd have to you'd have to arrive at there is that Klopp has been wonderful at developing these players. His backstory is just so insane as well in that like he was effectively deemed um and this is like something out of North Korea where he was basically malnourished. He wasn't he wasn't actually fed well enough to be a young footballer and look where he is now. Yes, and from indigenous communities. Mm. The, the the indigenous people who are who are uh, massive victims of the whole colonial process uh, in in the Americas, uh, and um, you don't see that many of them really thrive in professional football. So his story is wonderful. I, I met a, a mate of mine um, from Colombia last week, and his family they trace their roots back to Madrid. His his mother, who's ninety three was born in Madrid and went to Colombia as a young woman. And uh, if Real Madrid are playing at four o'clock in the morning in Colombia, she will wake up at four o'clock in the morning to watch Real Madrid. That's her level of fanaticism. But my friend was saying, I know my mum feels like that, but I have to cheer for Liverpool because of Luis Diaz. He is, he is the thing, the only thing which is putting a smile on the face of our football and he is representing us at the highest level. So uh, sorry, mum, we're on opposite sides on this one. That's what he said. How Liverpool have obviously their book ended by Brazilians as well, but how how, how big can Diaz become as a Liverpool player? Because you can see, I guess, Firmino's influence has waned in the last season and and, yeah. and change. Yeah, well, Firmino, um, Luis Diaz has done so well that he's given that selection dilemma to to Klopp. You know, what do I do now? Do I play Mane through the centre? Uh, and I don't think anyone had really expected it. At this point, you know, he's a player signed just to keep on freshening up that front three that have been together for for so long. So uh, we'll have to see if he starts and if Mane plays through the centre or if uh, if if Klopp decides to do something different. How do you imagine he'll play it up front? I don't know. I, I think... Uh, I, I don't know what he's going to do in terms of keeping them fresh and keeping something in reserve because I, I do feel that Salah is, is I think his legs are slightly on are slightly gone um, Mane Diaz Salah maybe and hope that Firmino might do something off the bench but I, I'm not I'm not sure if Salah's got 90 minutes in him to be honest him at this stage um, I don't know Interesting interesting and and as, as I said earlier on we've seen so often in, in this campaign that that Real Madrid don't need to be better in the game. No, and you know, they, I, they I just I, have little patches of little five patches. minutes and they take it away. I, I've, I've, I've kind of been saying like all through the knockout stages, Real just are not very good, and how are they? <laughs> but they just keep doing it, and you yeah. know, the more I get to Saturday, and the more I've kind of watched Liverpool in recent weeks, I, I'm just not sure mentally it'll be all that easy for them to just turn it on again and Real are in such territory now as to say like this is bonus territory and it's almost like their name is on the trophy we shall see another there's an, there's an all Brazilian clash here which I, I find fascinating which is Casemiro against Fabinho mm. these are direct rivals for a place in the Brazil team it's Casemiro's Casemiro is, is one of Brazil's leader leaders on the team but Fabinho is his backup the coach has thought, is there a way of playing them both? And I don't think he, 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 the two of them together, you'd lose mobility and it wouldn't quite work. So unless there's a change of heart, it's one or the other. Now, I tend to the view that they're both excellent players, wonderful on the ball, 
maybe Fabinho's distribution is a little bit better, perhaps. But I I think Casemiro defends better. Uh, and I think Fabinho can be vulnerable. And I, I wonder about that as well, um, because all of these things are going to be put to the test. At some point during the 90 minutes, these players are really going to be put to the test. And I just wonder if that's something which might tip things Real's way. So how do you call it? Oh, always make your predictions after the event. Mm. They, they end, you know, um, I still get them wrong. Yeah, <laughs> even after the event, yeah. Uh, I still think England are going to beat Germany in that 1990 World Cup semi-final. Mm. Um, you have you've, you you have been the straw that's broken the camel's back for me because before our conversation, I would have said, you know, I still just fancy Liverpool. But you've just put a little doubt to my mind about tiredness in Liverpool's legs. So I want, I'm wondering now about, about Real. But my, 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 the prediction I really want to come through is that whatever happens, this is going to be a game that we're going to remember for the rest of our days. Uh, and I, I think there's, there's an, honestly a chance of this being one of the all-time great European Cup stroke Champions League finals. So often the finals are disappointing. Sometimes they rise. Sometimes there's cheap drama. I'm hoping that this one can have all kinds of drama, including the drama of quality. Yeah, I think there'll be a lot of quality. It's, it should be pointed out that Liverpool have gotten out of... I mean, for Liverpool to make a title race out of it in Britain, in England this season, yeah. was the most ridiculous achievement anyway. And obviously, they've gotten out of some sticky situations themselves, including against Wolves on Sunday, where they yeah. effectively, there was, what, 13 minutes to go, and Liverpool looked like all they had to do was score. And they managed to win the game, but things just went awry at the Etihad Stadium. So Liverpool have shown that they have a way out. My my, my good feeling is just that they're not quite pe- at their peak at this stage, but we shall see. What a, what a game to look for. What time will it be on your time? Uh, it's four o'clock in the afternoon. Perfect. I can have my afternoon walk in the sunshine, get back, just relax, have a quick shower, sit down and watch the game and really, really enjoy it. Beautiful. Um, and, and so this this intrigues me as well, just to kind of wrap up our South American section. The, the, the restructuring that's gone on in Brazil, like we don't really take much notice of the Brazilian league over here. We, you know, we see some clips of the amazing crowds at games in Latin America, um, Copa Libertadores and so on. Um, some of us might have had a fondness for Raquel Maceo. He's getting on, as uh, you know, and, and, and so on and so forth. But tell us about what's going on in Brazil structurally, because it's been a, a complex thing. And I know they've gotten advice from Europe as to what to do. Yeah, I and mean, this is still a work in progress. Um, Brazil attempting to launch a, a kind of Premier League. They did it in 1987 and it only lasted a year. Mm. So they, they had to go five years before the Premier League uh, and they ran into problems and there are lots of problems still to be overcome. Where we are at the moment is how do we distribute the money? There's a lot of money on the table for this, but there are big discussions. Now, what should be the gap in terms of the TV money, what should be the gap between the club that gets most and the club that gets least? In the Premier League, from Premier League receipts, I'm told that the gap between the biggest and the smallest is 1.6. In Spain, it's 3.5. In Brazil, as it stands, it's nine. The side getting most TV money gets nine times more than the side getting least. But that's that's the funny thing about the, the Premier League um, for all its ills. It's actually very, very egalitarian in that regard. Yes, yes. Uh, now, uh, with the Brazilian one, we're not going to get to 1.6. 1, 1. We may get to 3.5, which is mm. where Spain has, has managed to get it to. Now, that's going to involve a lot of negotiation. The hope there is that there is so much money on the table that there is room 
for manoeuvre and there's room for compromise. But while we're focusing on this, there are other problems that are just being kicked down the road. And these problems are huge problems. Uh, for want of a better word, this league is going to work internationally if the product, and I despise using that word, mm. if the product is, is a good one. And that means the pitches, they're terrible. The pitches, who's going to take responsibility for this? Uh, pitches, refereeing, but especially the calendar. Now, the calendar is complicated. I'll, I'll try and do this quickly and, and, and make no it problem. as, uh, you know, I'll, I'll, I promise I won't be asking questions afterwards. Tim, it's, it's a quarter it to 11. I asked you this question at half nine. You just, you've given me the A to Z and it's taken you an hour and a quarter. <laughs> the, uh, uh, the Brazilian calendar as it stands, the first few months of the year from mid-January to either April or early May is given over to the state championships. That's one for each of the 27 states that make up this giant country. Geography matters here. Uh, and then the National League starts uh, mid-May and goes all the way through to, uh, to, to December. These state championships just clutter the whole thing up. From the point of view of the big clubs, they, they're, they're too many meaningless games. Uh, and it, it means that the calendar is a, is a constant effort to try and get three litres into a bottle that will only hold two. So the, the, the obvious thing that needs to be done is to change the format, scrap these ch state championships and have a year-long National League, as you have in, in, in every other country. But there are, there are two problems here. One is that Brazil's FA is a confederation. Mm. The, power, the power lies not with the clubs, but with the state federations. And the state federations, the last thing they will ever want to do is give up or reduce their state championships. It's where their revenue comes from. So if, if, it, if it's going to be done right, it has to be done on a breakaway basis. Can it be done on a breakaway basis? But there's another problem here in that there is one state and one state alone where the state championship is worthwhile. That's the state of Sao Paulo, which is the biggest, the richest state by far. And it means that the, uh, the, the, uh, the, the smaller cities are rich enough to, to uh, sustain good teams. So that the, 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 the state championship in, in the state of Sao Paulo is worthwhile. Now, that means that the clubs in that state, the big ones are Palmeiras, Corinthians, Sao Paulo, Santos, don't think they want to give it up because they see that as giving them a competitive advantage. So that means there's a total deadlock on what we do with the calendar. And at the moment, it's not clear how those problems are going to be sorted out. So it, it will happen, this Premier League. Surely it will, not least because many more of the clubs are becoming more business orientated. And the money is going to, if you, if you got them by the wallets and their hearts and minds will follow. But it's going to be a long and winding road before we get there. The last kind of minute or so you, you uh, users describe that could just as readily describe uh, the thoughts of an All-Ireland League in terms of, right. it's literally exactly that. It's like yep. the teams in the North, they want to protect their place in the European competitions. They want to protect their patch. But if you throw enough money at this, they'll probably say yes. Politics is politics, Johnny. Um, have a great uh, evening uh, over there and uh, enjoy the weekend and that horrible, horrible winter you're having over there. <laughs> Thanks. I'll, uh, your, your thoughts will warm the cockles of my heart. Thank you very much. Let's go to the ads. I just think he's full of SH1T at times. It's like, you know, quoting Kipling to players it doesn't work. Rudyard Kipling. It's probably Mr. Kipling would have been better. OTB AM, live weekday mornings from 7.30 on the OTB Sports app. 
Yeah, it's great to get um, some text in, such as, did you mention our comeback on Off the Ball, which is like a game of Astro and Sports Co there, where our mate's team obviously had a had a comeback. I did uh, get to thinking, Michael, about watching games abroad and like I've in, in bars for example so in Italy it's like people go in you see the locals drinking probably espressos mm. and they go home my, I suppose my fondest and earliest memories will be the old Satanta days where you'd be on holiday or vacation as they tell you in 1995 Galway played Tyrone and I was 12 years of age and going to the bar early and you'd have all the food laid out for you like Irish breakfast beans toast um, rashers sauces and all that you go in and you pay your $20 and you'd watch uh, the commentary from home with a load of expats and um, obviously in Ireland we we have pints and watch the game and create an atmosphere yeah it's funny you kind of bring the, the culture with you a little bit in some way in that regard I've been to one of those I went to the paid in like it's a couple of money as well at the all Ireland final in 2015 in Boston wow. Dublin Kerry yeah um, and yeah we were at the American football over in Boston College it was actually a bit off the ball so we had to go and find the All-Ireland and morning in Boston it was great but I've been to also soccer games in the US where you would go and watch Champions League final or something like that and I feel that they I feel the American football culture is very much it tries to be as English as it can be so whereas you could go to watch a game in America and it isn't quite the the drinking fest it is maybe here I feel in in America it's like this kind of forced chanting with an English accent and a lot of beer drinking yeah and as well as that like the the bars over there they've so many TVs and so much sport on it's mm. kind of like well what what is this bar about um, Graham Garton you can relate to all of this can you oh, a little bit yeah. yeah you met your future wife sort of on a on a night out possibly watching sport I did actually yeah. no I was at a, a PFEI deal in Scotland I was walking down the street and I bumped into her yeah what did she say so, to uh, you she tried to put on an Irish accent and then I sort of eyes lit up thinking oh, I might just go home Go back to live in Ireland and move back with you. And turned out she was she she was living in Scotland. And then so I ended up staying then for the next few years just to see how I got on with her. Like you know, luckily it worked out well in the end, probably. But uh, yeah, she. I was listening to Tim there. Like my wife, my wife's mother is from Brazil as well, like Curitiba. So um, it was interesting seeing how things are done in Brazil. You know, have you been over there? I haven't no she's a she's our mom went back and Hannah was going to go with her uh, and we were talking about bringing the boys maybe in a few years when they get a bit older but it is a bit worrying sometimes for Europeans they say so mm. just have to be careful how do you call the Champions League final um, I, I, I listened to what you said Johnny I actually thought you were very profound for once because um, I, I just thought with the like you said there's something on it that you feel Madrid might actually uh, have their name on it a little bit because of how they've come through here similar to when Liverpool won it years ago in 2005 uh, and you're sort of going against that logic and faith but if if Liverpool take the chances that I think they'll get in the game I think they, I think they should win it but um, my head is saying my head is saying that Liverpool will have too much for them overall in the game but like you said Madrid playing moments and, and I think if if uh, Liverpool can limit, limit their moments in the game from Madrid's point of view I think uh, Liverpool should should win it but I think it'd be tight I think it'd be tighter than, than people think like you know 
in terms of the League of Ireland, um, you know, you, you've uh, you kind of doing work for Shamrock Rovers and you, you do the co-coms for Shamrock Rovers maybe on the stream and all that, but I think you're around enough to talk about in a general sense. The last couple of rounds of games, uh, Graham, just been so bizarre. Um, I was at, I was at Bohemians versus uh, uh, Sligo Rovers Friday night. Sligo were so poor that it wasn't amazing that Liam Buckley ended up losing his job but I didn't go into the Pats game against Bowes on Friday on Monday night having much expectation for either of them because Pats were terrible on Friday night against Shells but I didn't think Bowes were that great against Sligo either it was a 50-50 game for much of it and Tunde Olabi starts and scores a hat-trick two really well taken goals and Pats think that everything is grand Bowes lose um, 3-0 and it's and then Rovers lose in Drogheda and Derry City go down to um, Sligo and lose in the last minute They've after, they're after losing to Dundalk so both Derry's form has actually fallen through the floor as well and I can't make sense of any of this anymore Yeah it's strange because like, you, like you said I think Bowes for the first I was talking to a Bowes fan this morning and he actually said to me for the first half hour Bowes were really good in the game it's like but it, it, there's something in Bowes at the minute and I listened to Keith Long's interview afterwards which you've done with yourself as well and he said that they need a bit more character and, and, and that character comes about when you get when you get hit with a sucker punch like they did in the game so they've done well for the first half hour they then lose a goal on the break it's poor defender from Kelly in fairness to him and the distance between him and his other centre-back is too big uh, Owalabi then has a free run of goal but it's like they, they, they never seem to be able to regroup after these things happen to them. Um, and that's worrying from a from a Bowles point of view. Uh, from a Pat's point of view, when, when their tails are up, they're a good side and they can go and they can go on runs where they play well, but they just haven't found any consistency at the minute. And that's why they're just up and down. Sligo's just a strange one in that. Uh, they're sitting fifth in the league. Uh, if, Shells, if Shells win their game in hand, they go ahead of them. Um, but like you said, they, they go and put in a performance after they lose the manager. And that that's worrying for me as a as a group because where's them performances been that would have kept the manager in charge in the first place? Yeah, uh, I, I that that one though is a, is a strange one because Greg Bulger comes out after the game. Greg Bulger hasn't been playing all that well. I would say he would argue that himself. So I go, but like, is there a point in the dressing room where it's just kind of it just edges away? And as much as you want to give your 100% like Sligo to me looked like they just didn't mentally believe at all on Friday and you can say then okay well it was it was my fault as a player but like nearly every fan I speak to from Sligo thinks this was the right decision yeah in fairness I, I think we have I think a lot of the Dublin media as well are looking at it going Asher sure what does Sligo expect but people in Sligo expect more and they want more and I don't think there's anything wrong with that from a Sligo's point of view is that they, they're, they're expecting more from the side they're expecting more uh, fight and endeavour from the teams and more consistency so they're the ones that are, are in this in the town and in the city and, and like you said a lot of them are saying listen it probably just ran its course with Liam um, and that and that's the like that's their prerogative as fans. But um, it'd be interesting to see who they get in. It'd be interesting to see what what way they go about um, who do recruit in the summer. In terms of the manager comes in, he gets to recruit his own players in the summer. Mm. Like you said, they lost the uh, Mahan and Kenny. Um, I was talking to a journalist over in Scotland that and said Mahan played really well. Yeah, he's the a player against Inverness. Yeah, keeping them up, keeping them really, up really well in them games. Um, and he could sort of see where he, that he's going to do well in the league over there. Uh, he's a big loss for them as well. But I, I always felt watching Sligo and some games you'd watch them and they were really good and other games I'd watch them and I just thought 
they lacked a little bit of um, enthusiasm at times and nearly aggression. You know, when they haven't got the ball, they were really good on the ball and it's great and they and they can play and everybody knows Liam Buckley will play. But I always felt they lacked a, li- lacked a little bit of aggression and, and togetherness without the ball and they were easy to play against um, at times. And hopefully, whatever happens with the new manager coming in, I think he, he probably demand off them more on that side of the pitch. Uh, the, draw of the, game, the draw of the result is, is, is a great result for draw. Obviously, I was talking to Stephen uh, on Wednesday evening, or Tuesday evening. Stephen Bradley, yeah. Yeah, I was talking to Steve Bradley on Tuesday evening. I said, how do you to find the game? And he said, listen, first half an hour, we were really good. He says, once you get a goal up, uh, you know, your park becomes really, really tight, as you know. And he just said that we just probably didn't do enough in the second half to break them down. So um, I think he was, from his point of view, from Aurora's point of view, he said he was just a little bit disappointed in, in, in that side of the game. But first half an hour, he was really happy about it. Then it makes for Shell. Shells are coming into town on a great run of results. I think that five five wins on the trot that are the fourth yeah. team in the and if, like, you know? if if like a lot of people are from sadly like the League of Ireland is, is badly badly represented geographically in this country and a lot of people don't have a local team and they might necessarily be League of Ireland fans but if you're not necessarily that big into the League of Ireland there's been a major major um, revolution in terms of attendances and this again it's just become Shamrock Rovers home games are extremely well um, sold and this looks like it's going to be sold out Damien Duff has now had four wins on the bounce at Shelburne three of them he was actually banned from the touchline um, yeah. And it's just crept up. And Damien Duff, not only Damien Duff, but Damien Duff and Joey O'Brien, two former internationals, obviously two former ex Rover squares coming back to Talab, which is fascinating. Yeah, it makes for an intriguing night. Uh, like you said, sellout, it's great. They're the form team coming in. They'll know a lot about Rovers and how they play and how they set up with, without the ball because obviously Joey had successful years there as well. Damien will be closing up with Stephen too and, and, and McPhail. So it makes for a great game. Like you said, um, I listened to Joey's comments during the week. I hundred percent agree with him. Like Damien's not going anywhere. He, he, he's, you know what I mean. He, he signed up for a team. He doesn't want to walk away. I think it's silly that people still think that's the case. Um, and Joey's the same. Joey has a deter- an inner determination to be the best coach he can be, and that's what he's going to try and bring to Shells. And uh, they were always going to be erratic this season coming up and they're going to go through sticky moments but like they've had togetherness about them they've a lot of endeavour they've a lot of enthusiasm sometimes they might lack quality at certain times um, at vital times in the game but that just comes with experience as well they've a young enough side uh, JJ Lunny uh, plays in midfield they tend to be a little bit more solid Luke Bourne is trying to obviously look after Cameron Ledwich as well and make sure um, he just gains experience in the games but there's no bigger test than than going to the champions um, and seeing how you get on and seeing where you are as a squad and a team any worries about Jack Byrne going off injured um, you know the suggestion he's not fully been at his best but he didn't complete, hasn't completed that many games of late went off injured against Strada you know what? I I didn't realise at the time until I done the when I had that chat room and I do the the clear the head stuff. Mm-hmm. Johnny, his back injury was probably a little bit more serious than um, the originally thought when he first went over to Nicosia. Um, so it was one of those ones. But this isn't ain't got to do with his back. This is just I think a, a, a slight little strain. So I don't think it's I don't think it's related to that. But um, 
yeah, it's just trying to get a run of games from and trying to get his, like you said, keep that match fitness up. And if he can do that, like you said, when you, in the games that he does play, and Stephen's been clever, like because I can, I've I've been at, I've done every home game that we've done for League of Ireland TV, and like if the games are over, they take he takes Jack off and mm. makes sure he minds him, like because he again he's had a full year out. You know what I mean? He's had a full year out for football. So he can't just be thrown back in and expected to play 90 minutes. They have to ease him back in. Um, and that's just a case of making sure he's he's well-minded. They have a great medical staff up there, Tony McCarthy, Dr. Alan Bourne, looking after him. So I'm sure Jack could be okay. They just It's just precaution. Just before we finish up on Shamrock Rovers, um, I believe they're under-13s and under-14s, um, the All-Ireland Champions, on the same weekend last weekend. And um, a lot of kids with dads who are recognisable faces in this Rovers underage setup, which are involved as well. Yeah, they, they were the same team. So the mm. team that played under-13s was the same team that played a year above themselves under-14s. One both. One both, yeah. Because their 14s team then is in the National League. We're actually... We're going down to Galway on Saturday morning to play your under-14s, Johnny. You have a bit uh, of previous there. Yeah, well, no, the, that group has moved on to under-15. So it's the under-14s National League. It's just playing the friendly games down there. So, um, yeah, a bit of previous between the two coaches. Um, so we see how we get on. But, uh, yeah, like Aaron Green's son plays for the team. Jack, Steve McPhail's son plays for the team. Uh, Joel, he scored the winner in, on, in the under-14s final. And Graham Barrett's son, Thomas, plays for the team as well. Robbie Keane was there in attendance. His son, Robbie, plays. Mm. So does um, the sprinkle throughout. Uh, Justin Farouge's little brother plays for them as well. Richie. Um, so they're a really good squad. They've been together a long time. And the, Graham, Graham Barrett and the club have worked really hard in, in keeping them together and making sure that, that they stay hungry. And playing in both tournaments is great. And obviously with... Uh, the 14s go national league they're able to do that so it, it was a brilliant achievement considering our 11s and 12s had won the, the cups on the previous weekend as well so um, it's a great achievement for the from the academy point of view and, and it bodes well for the future and who's there in the photo only a certain uh, Gavin Bazunu uh, who seems to have been at more Rovers games than most diehard fans uh, including under under 13 under 14 games uh, What it, which brings me to my last question just Ireland building up for the qualifiers um, are you excited by it I, I see Stephen Kenny described the upcoming Ukraine game as a significant game in modern history you have about a minute left looking forward to the games yeah, I am looking forward to the games. Yeah, it's great, and it, obviously the Ukrainian factor in it is brilliant as well. And um, it's it's a it's a good story for Irish football too. But I think from Stephen's point of view, be looking to make sure there's a performance put in that they're building towards something as well. So um, a lot of excitement in the squad. Some young players coming in, some players coming in that have probably been out of fold as well. Um, so it, it is makes for interesting viewing. Come, come to the Ukraine game. Where are you watching the game Saturday night? I'll probably go down and watch my brothers because I'll be coming back from Galway at about six o'clock in the afternoon so or in the evening. So I'll just probably jump into my mams and watch it because my brothers are big Liverpool fans and my two little boys are Liverpool fans. So I'll sit and watch it there with them. How about you, Johnny? Um, at a wedding, actually, as as has been discussed. Um, but we shall see what happens. I, I must wrap did you fit into the suit in the end? Yeah, all, all to be revealed. Thanks for your you're time. Doing a, you're doing a lot of cycling. <laughs> Thanks, Grave. <laughs> the football show is brought to you by Sky. All the football you love in one place across Sky Sports, BT Sports, and Premier Sports. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening.